It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spurs in full cry here. Look at Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man whose job is definitely not a risk, Nathan E. Clark. Hello, Nathan. (laughs) I feel like it should be. (laughs) Well, (laughs) funny you say that. (laughs) I'll come into that in a moment. Thank you, everyone, for all the emails and tweets about why you started listening to The Extra Inch podcast. It was very much appreciated. Uh, and it turns out there was no one reason. <laughs> there was no. I thought there might be like a neat. Oh, it was because of this thing that that you got mentioned on, or this website that you showed up on. No, it's just a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, some people found us via like Spotify recommends or whatever it's called, and huh. others just googled Spurs podcast. And yeah, but it was really nice to to engage with um, our new listeners appreciate all the messages that was cool are you saying you haven't put all of the data into a spreadsheet and analyzed the trends so i i feel like there wasn't enough data to do that <laughs> oh. with but the data i did have was there were no patterns forming let's and, put it that and way. yet we're going to discuss spurs despite having not played 10 league games yet <laughs> i hate you so much <laughs> I <really> hate you. <laughs> Um, Alex C says can we please have another therapeutic episode I love you all Um, we'll do our best Alex although to be honest I'm not sure how possible that's going to be after this past weekend Um, Nathan Kino asks how much can we blame this defeat on Nathan's things are getting better video given his horrific recent history with videos on Spurs yeah no that's 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 true that's fair I think entirely Um, I do do want to come back to that I do want to like look at that in a little more detail yeah because I've, I I was feeling kind of bad about that video yesterday, and I've I've you sort should of, not you should not feel bad <laughs> about it. I've I've sort of had some time to sort of to meditate on it today, and um, yeah, I, I think we'll go into more detail later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely don't feel bad. Definitely don't feel bad. Um, I I have thoughts too. Um, also on Patreon this week, uh, we we put out a couple of things that were in the chamber. So an episode of Straight Off the Training Ground, the podcast I do with Chris Somersell, analyst and coach and just general legend and also the latest episode of on the couch which is uh, me talking to our ex-sub community I, I pick a different person to chat to and we hear about their lives and there's some really interesting people in our community and uh, yeah loving that series um so as ever patreon.com forward slash the extra inch is the place to go but i want to start with you because you always um you always sum up the vibes very well. Always oh. the most dramatic, you mean? <laughs> a little bit of that, but I feel like you—you you really sort of—you get it. You understand what it means to be a Spurs fan, and you sometimes take it to heart. But sometimes you kind of get over things quickly as well. I, I want to know how much this North London derby defeat. Where did it rank, basically, in terms of the painful defeats we've had to Arsenal over the years? And sort of how did it make you feel? You know what? It doesn't rank that high. Okay. We've, at the Emirates, <laughs> especially, we've had some um, we've had some horrendous results where we've... We, I mean, we got beat 5-2, two seasons running. Um, one of those 5-2s, we were winning 2-0. Um, so I put them below those. 
I um, I don't know if you remember the three 0 we lost where we we conceded a goal. Gomez let it in at the near post, and then we took a centre and um, oh God, Palacios yeah. passed it straight to Fabregas, and he ran through the whole team yeah. and tucked it away. We were two 0 down. There was the the game after we'd beaten Real Madrid or Dortmund in the Champions League. You know, Arsenal were on the ropes, ready to be buried, and we t- went to we went to the Emirates and we got turned over. It happens a lot to us. It we does. we've won there one game, maybe one. In 28 attempts I think so this is not new uh, of course it hurts because it's Arsenal of course it hurts because it was pathetic for 45 minutes but in terms of like worst moments of Tottenham support in life it's it's not even it's not even in Europa Conference man so we can get over it everything else we can't but the actual result itself we like it's almost as if the result is insignificant compared to the consequences of what we learned from it if you see what I mean yeah no I do I definitely do and that's really interesting um as a standalone result, I think that's really interesting. How how do you feel about it, Bardi, as as a, a series of results? So we heard this mm. um this statistic that had we lost three nil, obviously it was three one in the end, but had we lost three nil, that would have been the first time in our club's history that we'd lost by three goals or more in three consecutive league games. I mean, all records are there to be broken, but it's, there's there's circumstances you can look to for the Palace game, the Chelsea game, and then this. There's there's things we need to learn and things we need to move on from. But I, I don't think this is the end of Nuno. It's it's still a little bit too early, but it's we'll we'll get into the kind of like the the, the details of the game. But there's disappointments to be had. But in terms of the result and the string of results, yes, they're bad. But I don't think it's it's end of days quite yet. Mm. Um, Rolling Fork said, how did we go from the first half of the Chelsea match to the first half of Arsenal from a tactical standpoint? What happened? Um, and I can see Nathan is is cramming some food down his, his neck. So <laughs> what I'm going to do is essentially take over until until Nathan's ready to speak. I've got lots of thoughts on this. Um, and I'll start here. So when, when the team was announced, I, I was kind of like... Okay, that's fine because Ndombele's playing, so you know whatever. Like to some extent, I'm just happy if Ndombele's playing. Um, but I didn't spot at the time that Romero wasn't playing, and then that became clear to me. I was like, okay, yeah, this isn't so fine. And the reason it wasn't so fine is because I saw the team in detail, and I was like, okay, we're not going to try and play the ball through midfield today. That's not our intention because. If you select Tanganga over Emerson, Sanchez over Romero, and Lucas over Lacelso, you are making a conscious decision to leave out players who are good in build-up play, who are good at developing possession from the back. Uh, and that made me a little nervous. And I kind of, I, I put a message on the Discord saying, I didn't want to like ruin the vibe because everyone was a bit excited before the match. We're going to do this, you know, coys, 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 coys. And I didn't want to completely ruin the vibe, but I was a bit like, I'll be back at half time. I hope this goes better than I think it does. I think it will. And that is purely based on team selection. Now, if I'm thinking that, the players are thinking that. Um, and as soon as that came to, to my mind, I thought what I'm going to do is grab a pen and paper and note down our first few possessions and see what happens. So here are my notes of our first few defensive possessions. Oh, God. Yeah, it's ugly. It's really ugly. The first defensive possession we have, the ball comes back from kickoff. It's shifted out to Tanganga. He kind of chips the ball forward and we lose possession. The second time we have the ball at the back, Dyer has the ball. He is kind of under a little bit of pressure, but nothing significant. He chips the ball forward and we lose possession. Then there's this like little bit of interplay where uh, Huey Bier counter-presses and, and briefly looks like he might do something and plays in Son and Son's in down the left and he's tackled. Then the ball is back in our defensive third again. This time it's with Lloris. Lloris plays a long ball to Son on halfway. He's pressed back. It goes back to Lloris again and he plays another long ball, which is a hoof. And Regulon manages to create a, a scenario where he wins a foul. Then fourth time we have the ball at the back. Sanchez plays a long ball towards Harry Kane and we lose possession. The fifth time at the back, there's five minutes gone by this point. Dyer plays a long ball to Harry Kane. He misses it. We would have lost possession, except for the fact that Delhi creates a bit of chaos and manages to flick on to Son, who is offside. He's offside I remember that. The first time we actually get Ndombele on the ball in their half with any sort of meaningful touches is on 14 minutes when Lucas takes it down from a throw-in, essentially beats the man running laterally across the pitch and finds Tongi, who picks out a fantastic ball forward to Regulon, who nearly creates a chance of the dangerous cross. That's the first time that Ndombele gets any meaningful possession. 
And then, so so basically, we set our stall out from the beginning. The intention for us in this game was to play long balls forward, to challenge for second balls, to counter-press when we didn't win them, uh, and pick up bits and pieces from there. Why are you picking Ndombele in the team if you're going to do that? I just don't, like, if you're going to do that, at least have Skip in the team to back up the counter-press and to be solid in midfield. I, I just thought the team selection was bizarre. Um, and also, like, I just hate that approach. This is this is not a good Arsenal team. We're giving them far too much respect in, in that sense. Interestingly... Once we changed in, in for the second half, the first proper possession we had at the back for the second half saw us play into Hjoibier and then skip and use Emerson Royale to create some triangles, which allowed us to bring our centre-backs up to halfway. And then we were let down in that particular bit of play by a poor pass from Hjoibier to Regulon. And it's fair to say that by that point, the, the game had changed, the game state had changed. Arsenal were not pressing high anymore. They were happy to just sit in and, and let us achieve very little. But it just showed me that we changed our approach and we were trying to actually pass the ball through midfield and try and build from the back. And I was left thinking, we'd seen against Chelsea and Wolves that we were trying to play a much more progressive style of building out from the back through Ndombele and through uh, the other central midfielders. And there was a lot of good work there. And it was the best football we've played this season. We tore it up against Arsenal. We went back to what we'd seen in previous matches, gave up on that sort of more progressive style. And I just can't get my head around that at all. Nathan, I'm I'm intrigued. What do you think? Why did we attempt to play in this way? I really have no idea, man. I can't. I can't. I can't get my head around it. To be honest, I um, I didn't clock what you clocked with the lineup. I looked at that lineup and I thought, okay, okay. Um, we've like we've overplayed some of our more important players over the last few weeks because he wanted to get a result and turn things around. And now we've arrived in the North London derby with some with some sort of second choice players or whatever interesting or some slightly more defensive players i guess yeah um isn't you know that's that's not great fitness management but i guess at least in domble is playing <laughs> so we we can still move the ball well but no you you were right we we really did set up in every possible way um <laughs> to, to just send them all over the top but yeah. i i I'm struggling with it, man. To be honest, I can't really wrap my head around it. I can't. I can't because because like so much like so much base level analysis is like working on the assumption that the manager doesn't know better, and it's like it's that's never the case, right? The the manager always has you know elite level coaches know what's happening in front of them, mm-hmm. right? And 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 even when it like especially even you know with Mourinho, whenever I was, I was critical of him I was critical of like decisions he might made despite knowing what was going on right but uh, with Nuno I'm like we started off with these three one nil wins um we played badly in them he won one as manager of the month <laughs> um we, we played well against City um and and we were playing this direct style that was very uncreative in possession and then I made this video because over the last sort of three or so games, we've brought some of our more technical players in from the fold, um, Romero and Celso, but especially uh, Ndombele. And I did a video looking at how Ndombele was making a significant impact on the way that we were we were playing, much less on the long ball, much more about playing it through the middle and mm. and his individual creativity and his ability to to like just single-handedly solve build-up patterns on his own there's a strong pattern of he would do all of that in the first half and we'd be really good and then in the second half again high against Chelsea against Wolves he would move away from build-up and I was saying in this in the video I did I said I, I guess it must be fatigue I guess and it kind of looks that way because he's, he's having fewer touches he's he's succeeding at what he does less he's 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 moving around a lot less I, I do think there's definitely truth to that but there was this this very strong trend of first half he helps in the build-up play second half he moves away from the build-up play and, and Spurs just play long the whole time and our performances would be <laughs> good in the first half and bad in the second half, basically. Which is not like that's not the total pattern of where the goals went, but you you get the general idea. And even after the Chelsea game, Nuno said, "Look, we were we were good in the first half. Exactly. We have to remember how well we played in the first half." So then we come into this game, and as you say, all of the, the almost all of the lineup decisions support not playing through midfield, and then Ndombele is just not involved in in build up play at all. And I I can't wrap my head around it. So. It, 
either it is a conscious tactical decision by Nuno to push Ndombele up. And this is something that we, we, we've we seen historically with Nuno, right? This is the case of Wolves, the case of Porto, the case of Valencia. He wants to play with two high number eights who are there to win second balls and start the play from there. What a misuse of his talents, though. But it's it's just, yeah, it's just a misuse of talents and, it, uh, uh, and <laughs> it's just such a limited way of playing, man. I just... So either either that is the intentional setup, or Ndombele just took it upon himself for half the time he's been on the pitch to <laughs> to 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 undermine the way that we set. So, or it's just like it's it's like a weird misunderstanding of when he's meant to come. I remember like our first preseason games, Delhi was playing in the 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 deeper eight role, and people were getting annoyed that he kept coming towards the play and and trying to make the play, but like. It's the same thing there is that like you need your number eight to, mm-hmm. to, to come and help things along and to be like the alternative option because it's like either you're going to pass long, in which case, you know, you have a variety of options or you're going to try to do something else and pass the feet, in which case really it's that one player, the, 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 the deeper number eight who needs to be coming away from the overloads and, and towards where the ball is. So I I just I can't get my head I can't find an answer as to like whose decision was it for Ndombele to to not participate in build up play and 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 why would that possibly be? Yeah, I mean the tactical decisions that were were made in this game by Tottenham they're going to be studied for many many years to come because <laughs> I I've never seen a team just abandon the centre midfield before that's that's surely what you should control and there there was just so much space in there and somehow we made Xhaka look like Busquets <laughs> we made Odegaard look like Platini and the the but. I would have looked good in that position, taking that ball, turning, and all of a sudden, then you're you're up against uh, Sanchez and Dyer, who who would never going to break ranks and go out and um, attack the ball. Had Romero been there, perhaps Romero would have just gone into one of his frenzies and gone into Odegaard and, and stole it off him. But Sanchez and Dyer aren't those kind of uh, defenders. Um, it was, yeah, It's there's that photo doing the rounds on Twitter. You might not have seen it, Windy, but Sanchez has the ball and there's just nothing but pure open green space in front of him. And yeah, there's not yeah. one Spurs midfielder in sight. And that's... That's a structural flaw of, of understanding the game. And Joyberg has been criticised, and, and rightly so. He shouldn't escape this. Delhi has been criticised, rightly so. But th- I, I think this is this has got to come from the manager, no? This this kind of just dispersed tactic. It, it absolutely is on the manager because with all of those early possessions that I've just taken you through, they were all choices. They, it wasn't like players were pressed into oblivion and so they had to just get rid of the ball. Sometimes the players had options and they... the, the the choice was to just lump the ball forward. Um, in in pretty much all cases, they could have turned and gone back to the goalkeeper and built from the back, but they chose not to. I mean, then that opens up another can of worms where Lloris's distribution is just not adequate enough to build from the back. We, we saw that quite a bit in the second half when Arsenal were maybe just pressing with one or two players. He was unable to find the, the full-backs regularly. I think that is true, but, I, but what's more important to me is that our choice was to play yeah. long, play early and fight for the second balls and counter press. And I just think as a as an approach to a North London derby, that's not accept that's not an acceptable way to go and play at the Emirates. Um it's not we we I mean, Arsenal are not a good team. No. <laughs> This whole um, this whole narrative about this is a rebirth for Arsenal is ridiculous. They their tactic was to to come out. They thundered through the first forty five minutes. Had they not scored their three goals, then I, they they faded badly. They would have faded badly. Mm. And had the game lasted another ten minutes, we probably would have snatched something. Mm. And, and they were. I don't know if you guys have ever run like a like a half marathon or a marathon. There's always some guy at the starting line that just pumps it <laughs> and tries tries to do the first half half marathon as fast as he can, and then just hang on and try and make it to the end. That was Arsenal, and yeah. this time the tactic worked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've seen um I've seen some some football writing on the match that says things like uh, Delhi and Ndombele were anonymous. Shoibier was anonymous. And it's like they, sure. they, they they were anonymous because we chose them to be anonymous. <laughs> That's that was we weren't playing through them. We were skipping them out. We were missing them out in our first phase of um, of attacking play, and then asking them to pick up the pieces and build from that. And you're just not going to get the best out of any of these midfielders doing that. Maybe Joey Bear can do it because he's pretty good at counter pressing. But the others definitely. You know, it's not how you get the best from Delhi and from Tongi and Dombele. It's just not. Um, so I completely reject the uh, idea that they were anonymous in the sense that they weren't showing for the ball. I think that is that's a nonsense piece of analysis. Um, Nathan, I also want to talk to you about our plan when we didn't have 
comfortable because, again, this was interesting to me. First few times Arsenal had the ball in possession at the back, we dropped into our shape. We had our narrow front three and then our narrow three behind them. The idea being to stop Arsenal playing into midfield. And um, we've seen that throughout the season so far in pretty much every match. Perhaps less so against Passus because we, we didn't let them have the ball so much. And then there's one occasion where I think it's like five, six minutes in, Kane does press the centre-backs for the first time. And I've, I've watched it back a couple of times and I cannot see a difference in the situation, what the trigger might be that means that this time Kane is to press the centre-backs. It's completely bizarre to me. But on that occasion, Huibier comes up, presses up behind Kane um, to try and stop the ball into midfield. Delhi therefore, has to leave his man to go to Xhaka, who would have been Huibier's man. And Smith-Rowe then picks it up behind Delhi. Between the lines, he plays it into Tierney, who finds Aubameyang, and they have their first effort on goal. It's like, okay, six minutes in, Arsenal have already beaten our, our flimsy press and got an effort on goal. It was offside, but the, the signs were there. And I'm thinking at that point, I don't like the look of this. That was far too easy how they've um, managed to play out through our press. And they did it for two for two of their goals. Yeah. Um, I mean, essentially, like, in, in both attack and defence, we played like Nuno ball to the extreme and Arsenal came prepared specifically for how to play against that. And and, and you you can only separate them to an extent because they do sort of combine. So defensively, like, we we play this 4-3-3 and it's a very sort of three flat lines of mm-hmm. a 4-3-3. Um, and I think that's really effective in the mid-block, but we've also wanted to press high at times, which, you know, you, you, you don't want to see as a fan, but then, like... Those three flat lines become, if you prepare for it specifically, which Arsenal clearly did, kind of easy to work around because you you know where the spaces are going to be, and so Arsenal made a, a really, uh, they they did a really good job of sort of matching those three lines or appearing to match those three lines and then having specific movements into the spaces between them as the ball came forward. And mm-hmm. so especially Delian and Domble sort of didn't know whether to go forwards yep. or worry about the space behind them and kept, you know, doing one and 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 having the other exposed because um because yeah, they're they're responsible simultaneously for the midfielders in front of them and the sort of attacking midfielders behind them. So so, in the second half, we move to a four-two-three-one, and that problem dissipates massively um, because you have now four different lines of defence, and, and Arsenal can create the space quite as well as they could um, in the first half. But um, it's the it's the combination of like. Um, a single midfield line defensively and the lack of midfield presence offensively, the like, <laughs> means that in transition, especially we were just like, Arsenal just had like 30 yards to run at our defence with basically in front of them. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, there's kind of a thing here where it's like the next few weeks are going to be extremely telling because hmm. I kind of feel like both at... Um, both at Valencia and at Porto, um, teams sort of cottoned on. Um, because again, Nuno has largely played, and not entirely, but largely played the same way for his entire managerial career. Teams sort of cottoned on about good ways to set up against Nuno. And there's, there is more than one. And um, this was very much that for, from Arsenal. That was like, you know, <laughs> in like in like really quite basic terms, right? Like, um, this team commit a lot of players forward in attack. Oh, okay. Uh, find ways to counter through their midfield. Uh, like, like low level, like sort of obviousness. Um, and so the, the question is, um, is this like already day one of the Premier League having cottoned on how to set up against, against the way that Nuno plays? Is there going to be sufficient adaptation around that or can there be or is this just like are we going to see this a lot from here on um and i guess we will find out pretty soon because if we're going to be facing teams who set up like this regularly and we don't find ways to adapt around that we're going to have a really horrible time if if arsenal sort of has struck gold and people another team's not going to cotton onto it or if nuno's going to find ways to adapt around it a little better um which i don't think is beyond him um then i still think that we've generally began trending in the right direction over the last few games um but i i definitely have some fear at the moment yeah 
Yeah, I echo that those fears that if, if this is Nuno Ball already been found out, then we're in for quite a torrid couple of months until until a decision is made. And it's just bizarre that we we end up in a situation with a, where Paratici, who's you know he's he's well versed in Italian football, and there's some, some the league may not be what it once was, but there's some interesting managers there doing some interesting things with with centre midfielders, and we've ended up with a manager who just doesn't believe in the centre midfield, and it's it's quite puzzling. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I I was staggered by our tactics in the first half. I, I couldn't quite believe what I was watching. And the thing is, after the first goal went in, you're like, okay, you, you have to change something. This isn't working. This is going to get worse and worse really quickly. And we could all see it happening. And he did nothing. So first goal, uh, it's a long ball, actually, funnily enough, from um, Regulon. Easily headed away by Ben White. Um, Xhaka beats Huey Bear to the ball. Huey Bear jogs back with four Arsenal players between the lines and facing our defence. And I felt like if Joibier had run back with any sense of purpose, he could have ultimately got into the right area to stop the pass. Uh, and that's frustrating because that's not Joibier, that's not the player he is. That's something very um, unique about that. He's not normally someone who gives up, but he gave up in that instance. Second goal, um, Kane is pressing Ramsdale, actually. So there, there's, again, another example of him pressing all the way back. Um, again, don't know what the trigger was. Um, Huibier follows to Xhaka. Delhi follows. Tanganga is then late to follow uh, Smith Rowe, probably because we, our press is completely uncoordinated and, and poorly coached. Um, Smith Rowe plays it first, one touch to Tierney into a Bamiang. And this is where I think Bardi's point from earlier is absolutely correct. Because if Romero is playing, I don't think Bamiang has a single second to play the first time pass. But Sanchez is slow. He's slow out to him and he stands off him and allows... Uh, medium risk of a red card is the, is the trade-off that, there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is absolutely completely fair. Romero might foul Aubameyang. He might go through the back of him. He might give... He might get a booking, but... Probably a booking, yeah. But we don't concede the goal. And then the third goal, Kane loses possession outside the Arsenal box. It's... It doesn't look great for Kane. It's a bit clumsy, but it's one of those things. Sometimes players slip on the ball, whatever. Um, we have six players ahead of the ball. So three outfield players behind it, Huibier and centre-backs. Uh, again, can Huibier foul Odegaard to break up the play? Maybe he can get to him. We're a bit unlucky because Kane chases back and makes a pretty good tackle on Saka, but it falls quite nicely for him to, to stick it in the back of the net. And 33 minutes into the North London derby, it's game over. By that point, it's too late for Nuno to do anything to to change the result. He's given up his chance. He must feel at that point that he's completely got his team selection and his tactics wrong. Um, and after the game, he's like, I picked the wrong players for what I was asking him to do. And yeah. I agree. I agree. How do you think you did, Nuno? I mean, so he, he took the blame, which is sort of like uh, a breath of fresh air. Um Due to the dramatic lowering of the bar last season, <laughs> um, so so a few fans are sort of happy to see him say, "Oh yeah, no, I made some mistakes," but like that's that's the bare minimum. Yeah. Um, but he and he also said, but also like some players, without naming them, some players sort of failed to to follow my instructions. My instructions were were an issue, but also there was there was failures within that. I'm trying to work out like. Is that defensively or offensively, and then what could he mean? Because like the offensive setup, like with the with the high central midfielders, is like uh, they weren't just high, which they often are, but they were also quite wide. And mm-hmm. It seems like there was a focus on like trying to quickly go from the long ball to like the wide overload, like winger central midfielder combinations. Yeah, um, you can sort of imagine <clears throat> and Dombele receiving a second ball and, yeah. and and playing Sun down the left side or whatever. But um, I, I mean. Uh, Kane was just sort of largely mismatched in his competition for for the long ball, and and any time we went anywhere else, um, we we just weren't we weren't in a good position for it. Um, essentially, Arsenal were just good at like clearing over the very high midfield line, um, so to to like avoid competing for second balls in the area. When they when when the ball when the clearance was short, we we looked better, and that's how you got that sort of like Delhi heading it onto Sun, but mm-hmm. Sun's offside early on. Um, yeah, I, I or or maybe Nuno is alluding to def- defensively, and he just like I don't know. Either he wants the midfield line to be like 
absurdly aggressive and just like be nearly glued to the to the back three and and and, and just abandon Arsenal's attacking midfielders in in acres of space behind there and just like be on Jack like don't let Xhaka receive the ball at mm. all there which kind of does explain like Hoybier's sprint but like I just that just seems like so so high risk and I mean it kind of did materialize that way so I'm kind of at a loss for like what he wanted, <laughs> like what what he felt was like misdone by players as opposed to that. Because to me, it just seems purely tactically. And uh, you can say like, oh, you look look at this clip, um, Hoybjorn and Dombele are, are failing to track a runner. But it's like, how many times do you want them to make like backward sprints to their own box because the ball's gone over the head again and again and again? Right. So yeah, I don't know. Um, Arsenal score three goals from like maybe one and a half expected goals so it does seem a bit worse than it is in terms of like the actual chances and and we got sort of a few shots off down the other end um so it, it seems kind of close on on like expected goals or, or on a shots based kind of analysis but like tactically it was it was really really one way i mean we have been quite negative and of course yeah, we got smacked up in the North London derby. But I thought Emerson did all right when he came on. I thought Skip showed us exactly what we were missing. And Skip's kind of in for some unfair criticism recently. But I think you, you see the value he brings to this team. And him being there reduces the kind of weight on, on Hjoyberg and, and Dombele a little bit as well. So I think I think Skip is, Skip is a crucial player to us. I thought Sun, well, Sun showed a good intensity. I thought Reggion did okay. Uh, but that's that's class with straws. But there are some good things to take from this, you know. There are some good things. Yeah, I feel like the second half was Nuno essentially saying, "Let's just have the ball a bit more and and play, sit a bit more compactly and not concede any more goals. And if we score one, then great." Um, and I thought the subs, in order to d- achieve that, and the subs were the correct ones. You know, Skip, who is clearly going to be a lot more involved in deep possession. Emerson, who I think is really good at building from the back, is a lot better than Tanganga technically in terms of taking the ball, receiving and giving. Um, I mean, it's just a lot, lot better player than Tanganga in that position. Um, you could see how reluctant Spurs players were to pass to Tanganga in, in build-up. 100%. I mean, Arsenal were leaving in spare a lot of the time. Yeah, and that's not to criticise Tanganga. He's a very, very good player, a good young player. I don't think I don't think he's a, a right back in a possession team, to be honest. Uh, I think Emerson absolutely is. Uh, really, I've, I've, I've been quietly impressed with Emerson so far. He's had difficult matches, but like when he's had the ball, he's made me think. Yeah, I like what I'm seeing here. Um, so yeah, we clo- we closed out the second half and, and we won the second half, I guess, which is small mercies, I suppose. Um, and actually, interestingly, Emerson, I, I compared uh, his pass completion in the opposite half with Tanganga's, and it's 20% higher. His pass completion is 20% higher in the opposition half, which is, I think, quite telling. Um, and Nathan, I, I don't think you should feel bad about your video because clearly there were massive improvements in the Chelsea and Wolves game. Yeah. Clearly. And and the, the frustrating thing to me is we had a really effective aggressive press in those games really effective and I'm looking at the Arsenal lineup. Arsenal notoriously nervy when they're under a bit of pressure at home just go hell for level like we did against Chelsea first half get, get straight up their throats and see what kind of chaos you can cause at the back see like what wait for them to make some mistakes we've how many times over the years have we profited from Arsenal making mistakes at the back especially in recent years just you know why not repeat that tactic it worked so well in the first half against Chelsea it worked well against Wolves I, I don't get it I don't I don't I just can't work out what the plan was it's bizarre oh shout out for Gil as well Hill Brian Hill I thought he looked uh, neat and tidy and something a little bit he better than, um, than Lucas Moore I would like to see him starting more games in front of Lucas he really did he really did but I, I mean I, th- I just think that Nuno needs to have a rethink about his his overarching plan because, like you say, we've got good we've got some good players here. Mm. We can play we can play possession football if we want to. You know, skip in midfield, very good high volume passer, um, and Dombele, one of the best ball progressing midfielders in the world. Um, I think Delhi in his box to box role has done more than adequately so far. And I like Lacelso on the right because he allows you to have another possession player dropping in and helping out in midfield. And I quite like him receiving on the right touchline as well um, because he's facing the right way with his left foot. He's very one-footed and he gets a lot. Of, he can see a lot of the pitch. So I think just go back to that 
and just play that for four, five, six games and just see what happens. Because otherwise, Nuno, you are curtains, mate. You are not going to last long in this job. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Do you think, Bardi, that if we were to lose against Villa next week, or even worse, let's let's imagine that we don't beat Mura in midweek and then lose to Villa, do you think Nuno could be gone? No, I don't think so. I think it would need to lose a couple of Conference League games. It would need to go out of the cup and lose a couple of league games. I'm not sure who we got after Villa, but uh, I, I, I don't think it's, it's still too early to sack him. It's it's looming and the pressure will build on him, but it's too early. I mean, if, if we go for him, who do we, who do we hire? So this is the thing, isn't it? Who do you hire? And um, I was having a, a, a WhatsApp conversation with Tetrunk last night and like, what viable alternatives are there? Appointing a manager midway through a season is really, really difficult. So you'd probably end up with an interim. Um, my first thought was Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe's the interim. And I, I'm not thrilled with that idea. <laughs> I'm not thrilled with that idea at all. So um, to Trunk put a, a tweet out, like, would you sack Nuno if the alternative <laughs> is interim Eddie Howe? And yeah, obviously people were voting against that. They don't want that to happen. What I would say is, at least Eddie Howe plays progressive football. You're going to get Ndombele and Lo Celso on the ball more. You're going to get Kane having more touches and probably able to get more shots away. But Howe has also had some catastrophic failures. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop talking out Freddie Howe. We can win. Fonseca's still available. Like Fonseca's still there. Yeah, but he thinks that because we wanted to buy a defender that we wanted to play defensive football. <laughs> like, from the like, top down, I don't. <laughs> like Gattuso, bring oh, back man. Gattuso. Maybe... No. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, at least it's, at least Gattuso isn't our manager. That's that's one good thing. Uh, right? I think we'd have more points if Gattuso is our manager. We'd be, um, you know, for all the wrong reasons as well, that surrounded, but I think we'd be doing better with Gattuso than with Luna. Hashtag yes to Gattuso. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nathan, what do you think? Do you think he, he would survive a defeat against Villa? I mean, we're going to lose um, to Villa. We're going to lose to Villa if no, we play this no, way. No, no, we don't lose to Villa. <laughs> lo- if we play anything like what we've played in the first three games or against Arsenal, we are 100% losing to Villa. Windy's going to be all right. So you, you need to hit the bottom of the swimming pool to know where the top is, you know. It, it, it's okay. We've hit it and now we're going to go up the right way. We've got, we're a bit bloodied, maybe got a fractured neck, but we'll be all right. We'll get through this. He'll start playing Romero. He'll start playing, um, oh God, Lacelso. He'll play Skip. He'll play Royale from the start. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. Next three league games are Villa, Newcastle and West Ham. That brings you up to nine. Um, Nine points. Should be Newcastle. Okay. So, like, what's unacceptable from the next three games? It's less than four points? I mean, I would have said, at the start of the season, I would have said you you want six points. You want six points. Yeah. You want five or six points. We're talking about, like, now. Now we're talking about, like, He's in terms of like him risking his job. What what does he need to get from the next three games to keep his job from here on? For the next three league games, because we do have two Europa League conference games within that, or or are those relevant to the conversation? Um, I if we get, I think they are relevant if we lose both, because then that puts us in an awkward position to yeah to get yeah. out. But I, I well I couldn't okay. put I couldn't tell you one thing about Mura, and uh, so I think we'll beat them, and we'll probably beat Vitesse as well. I, I think I think we'll lose to Villa and West Ham. 
um, and we might beat Newcastle. And what I'm, is that equal? I, I think he might go. I, I, to be honest, the thing is, I think the performances in some senses are more important than the results in those three. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the performance has got better recently. <laughs> that that needs to continue because if um, if we go back to this lump the ball forward and hope for the best style mm. and we can't see any progress I think he's gone and the thing is he already looks like a beaten man and I know this that's like body language analysis is not great <laughs> he looks he looks broken already and this is his highest profile job he's ever had the pressure is unreal yeah. uh, he's following Jose Mourinho there's a lot of latent resentment at the club there's a lot of frustration sure. from the fans um, and he knew all this when he took the job I, I, my my position, I think it was a poor appointment. I think yeah. it didn't fit the brief. Um, but I also think that like it's it's just too soon. Obviously, like um, if we spend the next three games evacuating midfield and getting done on the counter, <laughs> then then I, then I, I kind of have to change my mind. But for for me, like there's just no point of like sacking manager before I don't know December, yeah. November at least. Like so, so I'm kind of like well, it's like because what what is at risk. Mm. With with keeping him like in, in European qualification, we, well, yeah, but, and but the money think, that brings. But I think that that was already like up in the air going into this season. You know, we were talking about maybe fourth, maybe fifth. I think that like you know, do you still get Europe if you go down as far as eighth? This I guess it depends on how people other teams do in various competitions, doesn't it? It's sort mm. of a bit up in the air. So it's not like that was sort of like on the line. Um, uh, or the, sorry, that was that was assumed. It is on the line. Um, so I don't know. I for me, like you, you should give him several more weeks. But I think that if we don't see if we don't see tactical change at the very least, um, then like I, well, I certainly won't be surprised. Mm. What might help him is that after the Mura and Villa game, we've got four away matches in a row. Um, okay. I mean, if if, <laughs> if they were at help? home, why does that help? Well, be, be, because I don't think the crowd off the pitch. I don't think the crowd are going to welcome this style of football at all. I mean, I think if we play this against Villa, um, <laughs> there'll be booze at half time and full time. Yeah, uh, Villa scare me. To be honest, um, they're playing a new system. They're playing three five two with Ings and Watkins up front. Um, which I think will rattle us anyway, to be honest, because we are just... Well, we've conceded nine goals in our last three Premier League matches. We're struggling defensively. Um, I, so I think that's going to be a problem. But also the the 3-5-2 the means there's a, a match-up in midfield. We're not, we haven't got numerical superiority in midfield. Um, and we saw against Chelsea how that, that turned things. One thing that is baffling to me <laughs> is that against Chelsea, we... <laughs> We pushed the fullbacks high and dropped Hoybier in in order to get Ndobbele on earlier. And then, like, we played strict to the back four. Yeah. So, uh, well, I do wonder if we might see 3-4-3 three, three as a sort of, like, panic button response. Interesting. But, like, I don't think it's necessarily a good idea or suits us or is right or solves things. I think it's just, well, let's try this kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, I mean, maybe that that results in getting, you know, a ball player on the ball early, but I don't think it's... I don't know. I don't understand why we... <laughs> why, like, we played this this idea versus Chelsea in the first half. We're, we're impressed with it, and then we <laughs> avoid recreating it. <laughs> uh... We're gonna do a, we're gonna do a Conte's Chelsea. We get pumped by Arsenal. We'll have a slightly better second half. Then we're gonna go on a thirteen match winning streak, and we're gonna end up winning the league. I wonder if the idea was like this last uh, three games we've been good in the first half and bad in the second half. So what we'll do to throw Arsenal off <laughs> is we'll switch it. So we'll just spend the first half making a, a non game of it. We'll just send it long and defend, and send it long and defend, and 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 then in the second half we'll, we'll switch to like. Hoybier drops in and Dombele comes deep and we'll try to play through the middle then and then now obviously that, that goes completely to pot because Arsenal were prepared for how we set up in the first half not how we played against Chelsea in the first half I wonder if that was the idea because not a bad otherwise, theory that I mean that it feels a bit tin pot but it uh, uh, tin hat sorry but it's also um <laughs> the <tin> only <laughs> yeah well yeah it's definitely tin pot also <laughs> tin, tin everything pot and tin hat yeah nice um but like, I don't really have <laughs> any better ideas. Yeah, 
Um, JC says, lads, do you think changing to a 4-2-3-1 with Delhi playing in a more natural 10 role would improve things at all? I'm also thinking that might give Kane more confidence that he'll get better service, so he may perhaps stop playing as a deep line playmaker. It might even encourage a higher press. And my response to that is, yes, JC, I absolutely do think that would help, but it would involve Nuno completely changing his philosophy and style of play, so it's clearly not going to happen. Um, but hopefully if we appoint a more progressive um, ball playing a manager with a ball playing system in the future, that might be what we see. <laughs> we can't be doing next manager yeah, analysis well, yeah. now. We can't. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I, I think. I think forty-three. So that's what we played in the second half, and again, it means that we defend with four defensive lines. Yeah. Um, and so that works for us because of how Arsenal specifically set up for that match. But I think it could work for us for a spell of games. Um, I do think that that. Um, it means that Kane is closer to some other players um, and closer to players who aren't wide of him, um, which I think can help. Um, I, I thought Kane, I, I, Kane has some great touches against Wolves. I thought I don't think I honestly don't think Kane is. I don't think Harry Kane is the problem. The no. problem. I think getting the ball to Harry Kane is the problem. Okay. Right. I, I, like, I really thought he was good against Wolves. In, in not loads of touches, but when he did have the ball, it was all effective stuff. It was lots of great first time layoffs clever passes, um, getting his head up quickly, all the stuff you'd expect from Harry Kane. I really like the Wolves' performance, if I'm honest. I, like, okay. I know we conceded two rough goals from Ndombele mistakes, but I generally thought the performance was, was, was positive and the XG reflects a very dominant performance too. There was some good stuff there, and that's why the Arsenal game is even more frustrating. I think um, a firing Kane scores two goals would be we get out of that with a draw. He he snatched his chances. Um, I don't. I, I was a bit crit- critical of him, but I don't think he was the problem in this game. No, there's there's far no. bigger issues at work than than Kane not being able to move around. Yeah, I think four two three one could be interesting for us. I think that there are there 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 could be to think that like. <laughs> I th- well, I think it's a way of of Ndombele affecting the play earlier. But he's going to um, play with the ten. If you just know, if it goes to four two three one, he'll play Ndombele. Well, then, well, yeah, which is what we saw in the second half against Arsenal. And then, yeah, like it just so that 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 solves nothing. That gives well, it, he it will still play Huey Bear and skip as deep line midfielders, and Ndombele as a ten. That would be miserable. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be terrible. I think that will that will see him. <laughs> it might even be worse than what we've seen so far. <sighs> yeah. Um, Matt D, I quite like this one. He says, question for the pod. What's the highest cost you would pay to go back in time, not fire Potch, and back him? Would you cut off a finger? Shag Flav? Don't know where that came from. Admit Italian football is the best, Wendy and Nathan? Flav's a handsome man. Hmm? Yeah, I mean, that's not doesn't feel like a high cost, does it? <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> my, my, my Just immediate response... Italian football, bloody hell. <laughs> no. my, my, my immediate response was that I would cut off Bardi's finger. <laughs> That's a it's a high cost for Bardi. <laughs> it's a high cost. Um, I mean, always with Tottenham, we always end up looking back and looking back. But things weren't that great under Pochettino when he left, you know? No, they really weren't. They were pretty bad. But- We'd been pumped by Brighton. We got pumped by Bayern Munich. It was kind of end of day stuff. The Sheffield United game, it was a VAR decision that's, that saved us. It, things were bad then. Um, mm-hmm. And we were having ball progression issues. Exactly. We were we were lobbing it long and hoping for the best and relying. It, it, it was almost very Jose Mourinho like those those last that last spell under under, under Poch. Um, yeah, so no, I'm not I'm not going to cut my finger off, have sex with Flav, even though he's a, a big, handsome, sweaty man. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just not that fond of the Pochettino end of end and uh, end of reign. To be honest with you, I get that. It's the um, it's the feeling of progress, isn't it? That we all miss. It's the it's mm. the upward trajectory. It's the it's watching players improve week by week and feeling like yeah, we've really got someone here who knows what he's doing. Um, the fullback whisperer as he was in his first couple of years, and then you know we this burgeoning pressing style which we'd never seen at the club really before, or certainly not for many many years, probably since the sixties. Um, and it it felt great, it felt really new and fresh and exciting. But Bardi's right, that tailed off big time, and there were huge issues. And I don't I don't subscribe to the theory that it's all because we didn't refresh the squad. I mean, I think that would have helped, but I definitely think there were other fundamental issues at play that said if we could go back and try refreshing the squad yeah hell yeah i'd absolutely give it a go and see what happens because it's not gone well since um i wanted to ask you this one nathan this is from um, lars arpel who says 
Your talk about fans making up excuses for La Celso really made me want to ask you, why are you doing the same for Ndombele? There are obviously plenty of excuses that can be made, frequent managerial changes and Mourinho, I guess, for a start. But on the other hand, I feel we as fans have been entitled to see a hell of a lot more from our club record signing. With the wages we pay him, three times as much as we pay La Celso, as I understand it, also comes an increased responsibility. And he simply hasn't lived up to that with the level he's performed at at Spurs, not to mention the frequent focus on wanting to leave. I don't doubt his talent, but I do question whether he's shown enough of it to warrant the soft touch you give him on the pod compared to other players signed for a lot less money and paid a lot less in wages. If there are mitigating circumstances to this view, could you please help me understand them? Best, Lars. Well, I definitely apply the same excuses to the Celso, who I'm also, who I also think is a really good player, and I'm also really sort of excited for down the line. Um, but like, I, I don't really, I don't hold it against fans if they are sort of frustrated by Ndombele based on sort of like the expectation and 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 reported wages and stuff like that. I think that like, I just think that 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 blame needs to be spread around pretty evenly. I guess he isn't, he isn't, he isn't blameless. Um, I'm sure he could like have done more to apply himself better, but I also think that like um, we as a club have have been a mess ever since he arrived. Um, and the same is same for Lo Celso, same for Bergvain. Um, yeah, and I do think you see the um, the difference he makes when he's in the team and getting on the ball. Uh, you look at that and you think, oh my god, he's he's literally transformative for our team. The way we play football. Um, that's not an excuse it's just a reason why we should back him or have faith in him to be good because he's really good he's a really fantastic footballer um, and I agree I agree I think there are probably instances in the past where perhaps he could have he could have done more to help his um, his chances um, and his form but it's been a shit show and like I, if I were in Dombele I'd want to leave I'd definitely want to leave like he doesn't need this <laughs> he doesn't need this and the best years of his footballing career. This is a mess of a club. He could be playing at a higher level for a better club in a team that wants him on the ball lots. I get it. Bardi, any thoughts? What can you say, really? Yeah, we've, we've talked Ndombele to death. He's a fantastic player, but we just don't see enough of him, either because of him or the tactics. Something is not right. And I don't think we're going to fix it right now under Nuno, and that's that's quite sad. Jamscones says, if you had to replace Nuno with the previous Spurs manager who wasn't Poch, who would it be? Uh, this isn't a hypothetical where it would be them at their peak. This is based on literally bringing them in now. So you can't say, I want... I want Bill Nicholson. So, sorry, based on literally bringing... Oh, okay, so they have to be alive, you mean? Yeah, okay, fine. So who do you, who do you appoint? Um, I appoint AVB, bring him back. He's the only one that I can possibly make a case for, basically. Yeah. I just... Mm. And and that it's not like a it's not an, like an exhilarating, <laughs> like promising one because I think that like the, you know there are significant downsides for the AVB, but yeah, like definitely he would be the only one. There's literally no one, is there? There's no one else. I mean, there's um, Chris, our friend Christian Gross is still knocking around. He's won a few things since since he left Spurs, but <laughs> you know that is the Swiss league. Or uh, <laughs> he had recently sacked by by Schalke earlier this year so he's still knocking around you know okay. I mean it's, it's either it's either gross AVB or, or Redknapp I'm not sure what, what 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 happened to Ramos or um, Santini but I guess it's just one of those now mm. yeah Jam um, try better with your questions next time that was <laughs> it wasn't as good as it sounded um, <laughs> which one should we go to next they're all a bit shit <laughs> I'm leaving that in <laughs> uh if you could move, what about this one from Ram? If you could move your seat. Okay, question from Ram. If you could move your seats anywhere in the stadium, where would each of you sit? E.g. centre sideline view or being close enough to hear coaching instructions? Ooh. <sighs> That's interesting because, yeah, the, like some people would like to be right near the action, um, mm. close up. So close enough that you can shout at players and they'll hear you. Um, some people li- like to be at an end. Some people like to be on the side. Some people like to be close to the dugout. Some people like to be where the atmosphere is. Um, is there a compromise there, Bardi, for you? Where, where do you like to be? I don't like being too low. I think if you're too low, like row, say row one to ten, I don't think you get enough. Um, you don't get enough idea of this, the space on the pitch and how um, how the how the team is laid out. Um, I don't like being behind one of the goals either because then it's great for when the ball's at one end, but then you know obviously you can't see what's going on in the other. To be high up across on the centre line behind the dugout would be quite interesting, but then that would probably put me within earshot of Daniel Levy, and that would probably earn me a, a ban at some point. 
So um, I'm going to stick with um, a corner. I'd like to sit in a corner, but maybe at the, at the moment I'm row 57, so I'm way, way, way too high. So I reckon it's so in a corner, about 30, 30 seats up, 30 rows up. So you, you can get, you get enough of the atmosphere, but you can also see the pitch and see how the teams, um, what setup they've got as well. Mm. And near, near, the, near, the, near the staircase going down, so you can dash out for a beer as well at the time. <laughs> <laughs> good good tactical thinking there yeah so i i've always chosen to be fairly high up when i've gone to see spurs play um and i like i generally prefer to be behind a goal uh in an area with as much atmosphere as possible with those restrictions um but i obviously I used to go and watch the youth team quite a bit at hotspur way um and it's quite interesting being literally on the touchline like close enough to touch players as they come over to take a throw i mean Bardi's completely right you can't get a sense of the spacings at all well it's quite sort of hard to judge that but what you do get is a real feel for uh, players technical ability and you can make a good assessment of like their touch and vision and passing range and you also you can tell a team's intensity from being there as well really well because you're sort of seeing them how quickly they're, they're like pressing or how hard they're going to tackles whether the tackles are necessarily hard so it's quite fascinating but yeah just never for some reason never chosen to to be that close at white hot lane or now um Tottenham hotspur stadium so yeah slightly higher up as body would how about you nathan um so I spent a lot of the last several years sitting near my dad because he's a season ticket holder or he was a season ticket holder. Um, and in the old White Hart Lane, he was right by the managers. He was like, well, he was right next to um, the the press box, but with the manager sort of walking around in front um, or the, the the away manager, closest to the away manager <laughs> than, than the home manager. Um, and that was interesting to like, see what was going on in the dugout a little bit but yeah a really low down um and obviously the old white hot lane was like a, a really incredible stadium and especially towards the end um mm. like a really special atmosphere and to be that close down to the pitch had its own benefits but i really couldn't see what was going on at all mm. um and then when i did sit uh old and new stadium when i have sat where it where you get the best sort of tactical view which is higher on the sides those tend to be the quietest part of the stadium yeah uh, the most expensive seats and the, and the and the um and the quietest part so um i think if i was like if i was on the um like was it this called like the 1882 club like, high up on in the on, south stand, on the, yeah. in the south stands that might be the compromise where i can i think i watched i watched the ajax game um it was a listener actually um had a spare ticket for me which is really sweet um <laughs> Um, I was, yeah, I was fairly high up South Stand, and I think that you get a mix of good atmosphere. Assuming the game's going to right, good atmosphere and a good view. So I think that the the is it the, the is it like some sort of weird VIP thing in the middle yeah. of the South Stand, right in the eighteen eighty two club? Yeah, right in the centre of our if our famous wall. There's a there's a VIP two and a half thousand pound season ticket area or something. Jesus, like yeah. I'll I'll have one of them, but like. <laughs> But like right on the edge of one of them, so I'm not like properly in amongst them. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're one of those guys that goes to Cineworld and sits right next to to the VIP seats, not quite in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Robin shoulders. <laughs> nice. So there you go, Jam Scones. That's how you do a question. That was yeah. that was good content that you got out of us there. Well done, Ram. Uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a miserable podcast, really. But I think that's I think that's a reasonable response to the shambles that was the 3-1 defeat to Arsenal so hopefully Spurs will produce something better in the coming week and we can have a bit more of an upbeat conversation next time around but look it's it's not all bleak there's a lot to be excited about long term I, I really do do feel still that we we're well set as a club you know the the revenue from the stadium is pouring in now and that means in the coming windows for the first time we can actually spend on wages we can break our wage structure a bit and we can attract top top players um we're going to be fine it's just we need to get the next manager managerial appointment spot on the thing is this is this is kind of tottenham this is so we deal with um distress and bad results a lot better than most other teams because this is this is if you've been supporting spurs a certain amount of time this is just how it is we you don't (laughs) you don't win at arsenal you know i said at the start we've done it once in 28 games so dealing with the depression and everything else is just part and parcel of being a spurs fan i think that's what makes our fan base very unique compared to compared to them lot um just don't overreact things are things are bad but things will get better it's not the end of the world we're all still alive we're all still happy ish and you know things can only get better 
That's not true. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 that's not true. And you, you know, that's not true. Let's, let's, let's rain it. We can, don't, don't, don't invoke, don't invite chaos into our lives in that way. No, we could be, we're not under threat of relegation, right? I don't think we are. Um, I think things could be worse. I think the next few games are going to be really, really telling and, 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 um, quite definitive. So, um, tune in <laughs> and make sure you're buckled up. you've been listening to the extra inch thanks to nathan a clark for production thanks to bardi for being italian thanks to adam gardner for the artwork thanks to david lindmer for our intro music you can find him on twitter at davy shambles and his soundcloud e lindmer do check him out he's great follow us on twitter and facebook at the extra inch Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.